Hello and welcome to the South American Football Show with me, your host Adam Brandon. Um, in this week's show, we will be looking at the Under-20 World Cup, the title race in Chile, which concluded this weekend, and also have a quick look at Chile's Confederations Cup squad, Argentina's first squad under San Paoli, whether that's true or not, we'll find out, and also what's going on in the Argentinian league at the moment. With me to discuss all those things today, first up we've got uh, somebody who's become a little bit of a regular with us here at World Football Index now, um, Tom Robinson. How are you, Tom? Yeah, I'm very well, thanks. Um, I've, I've enjoyed this opening uh, weekend to the Under-20 World Cup. And yeah, no, it was good. I've, I've been in Madrid recently as well, so that was that was nice. Lots of uh, good football-related stuff going on over there. So yeah, all good, mind. And also with us today is Nick Dorrington, who's currently in Chile as well, but he's he's not based over here. You're just visiting, right, Nick? Yeah, that's right. I'm just over here for a few months, doing uh, watching some football, doing some interviews and stuff. So yeah, having a good time so far. Okay, we're going to kick off with a discussion about the Under-20 World Cup. From a South American perspective, it's been a fairly mixed start, but mostly good, um, with Venezuela and Uruguay registering notable wins over major European footballing powers, and Argentina, well, they lost to uh, England, so not a major footballing power. But first of all, let's look at Venezuela, who kicked off in this tournament which is being held in South Korea, for those who don't know. Um, and they, they kicked off with a 2-0 win, fairly comfortable 2-0 win over Germany. So, Tom, I know that Germany's squad was weakened by, you know, the under-21 European Championships, uh, but I think the Germans were still fairly confident of winning this one. And I had a strong feeling that Venezuela would beat them. You know, we discussed on previous South American football shows here that yeah, but they were one of the most impressive sides in the South American Championships earlier this year. And for me in this game, you know, they were imperious at the back and dangerous in the final third. Um, what and who impressed you most? Yeah, I mean, I thought they carried on from their excellent Sudamericano performance. They were the, the sort of dark horses of that tournament. And um, I think for any of us who watched it, like you said, this wasn't too much of a shock for us. Uh, I think more people who may be coming into the tournament a bit cold just seeing Germany beaten by Venezuela was a bit of a shock to them but you know they they carried on where they left off they're as you said very very strong defensively they've got Wilke Farinez who's um, already a senior international in goal um, a very good back four and just a really good spine of the team um, and every, everyone sort of performed you know Yangel Herrera was imperious in the center of the park again um they've been helped by the addition of um Peñaranda who's um at Malaga well I think on loan from Watford but um yeah he's he's someone who didn't play at the Sudamericano but he's given that extra kind of stardust up front and yeah the, the goals came from two guys who I mean they they impressed with their hard work during the Sudamericano but they kind of often lacked that finishing touch so uh Pena was had a very well taken goal to open the scoring, and he was someone who he'd run and run all day, but he just kept missing those yeah, chances. He was, so. he was a very frustrating player, wasn't he? We we discussed him quite a bit before, but I was delighted for him, and and you could see how much it meant to them as well. But it oh, just yeah. seemed like the players and 
Dudamal, the manager, who's also the manager of the senior team, right? Yeah, you know, they had a very kind of good connection. I think you could see the spirit. Yeah, I think the fact that Dudamel's come along as well um, to kind of co-manage the team has been a real inspir- uh, inspirational presence on the sideline. And especially with everything that's going on in the country right now, I think this this really matters to them and, and they really want to bring a few smiles home for the for the people back in Venezuela. Um, Ronaldo Peña is actually one of three Ronaldos who scored on the uh, um, opening weekend. Um, so that's obviously uh, a lot of inspiration from the, I presume, the great Brazilian, but maybe maybe the Portuguese yeah. uh, Ronaldo as well. Well, showing their age there, I think, no, <laughs> for players. Yeah, exactly. I think the second goal came from Cordova, who, again, is a really direct hard-running, powerful figure on the wing, but sometimes his decision-making was terrible at the Sudamericano. So for him to get a nicely taken goal after some good work by Peñaranda was um, was nice to see as well. And, you know, I think, you know, we all, I think we all fancied them to, to get out of the group. But, you know, if they're already beating one of the favourites or pre-tournament favourites, then, you know, this, this fairy tale could go on a little bit longer. Yeah, definitely. Um, shall we move on to speak about a team that didn't do quite so well? It was in the game right after the Venezuela one, and that was uh, Argentina, right? I've only yeah. I've only seen a few highlights of this game, and it is like one or it was one or two matches in this opening weekend involving South American sides which used video technology, and in this game, it's fair to say that it was actually used quite well. But it does mean that one of Argentina's star players, um, and it's a fairly average Argentina side for me, his tournament may be over already, no, Tom? Yeah, that's that's correct. Um, Lautaro Martinez, who's been in sensational form for uh, Racing um, in the last few months, and he was joint top scorer at the Sudamericano. Um, he didn't actually start the game, which was a, it was a bit of a shock. He, he came came on off the bench and then was quickly sent packing when he uh, was a judge to have uh, elbowed one of the English defenders and I think like you said it's it's one of those ones that as soon as you sort of swing an elbow even if it is maybe not entirely malicious you, you, you're giving the referee a, a, a decision to make um, I think it's just the fact that the referee didn't spot it and then they brought play back is probably what um, most annoyed the Argentinians, but yeah. you probably can't have too many complaints with it. Uh, a little bit harsh, maybe, in in the, this new reality of video-assisted uh, refereeing or whatever the initial stands for. Um, yeah, true. The game itself, it finished 3-0 no, to dear old England. Um, yeah. Did the scoreline reflect the match? I think it was England's first win at this under-20 World Cup level for something like two decades, no? Yeah, that's correct. They've, um, they don't often make it, but the, to the times they have, they've they've failed to register any wins. Certainly in the last ten years, but I think I heard the commentator say that it was there's twenty years since they'd last even won a game, let alone qualified from a, a group. Um, I remember, I think it was back in 2013, with in hindsight quite a decent side with Harry Kane and yeah, I remember John Stones, Barkley. Yeah, th- they I think they drew. They were in the same group as Chile, actually. And I think they didn't win a single game. Uh, Iraq finished above them, it was, which, to be fair, was a good Iraq team that year. But again, crashing out behind maybe not some of the bigger footballing nations was, was a bit of a shock. So I don't think a lot of people had high hopes for England, but they've actually got a decent side coming in. So, you know, people like Dominic Solanke and uh, Maitland-Niles and a, and a few other recognisable faces from the Premier League. 
um, a couple of the Liverpool lads and Calvert-Lewin from Everton as well. So I think this was a better England side and I think they were good value for their victory, but the scoreline certainly flattered them. Uh, Argentina actually started much the better. They were dominating possession and you know, there's been quite a lot of changes from the disappointing Sudamericano campaign. Ezekiel Ponce has been brought in. Colombato, a guy who's based out in Italy who I'd, I'd never even heard of, but he looked very assured in midfield um, alongside Ascasibar. There looked to be a better organised base to the side. And then it was just one of England's first chances um, and Calvert-Lewin headed in just, just before half-time. Um, so that was a bit of a shock to the system for Argentina. And then after that, they kind of just unravelled and showed all the defects, no pace at the back. And they were caught by a very direct but a nice uh, Adam Armstrong goal. Uh, the goalkeeper had Petroli had a, had a terrible game. He was beating his near post for that second goal, and he gave away a penalty in the closing stages. And it was quite a, a tame penalty, well placed, but sort of just dribbled in, and he couldn't get a hand on that either. So, yeah, Argentina soundly beaten, um, but maybe some some cause for uh cause for positivity rather the main issue though being as we said earlier star striker Martinez could be out for the whole tournament now I guess the one hope they have is that they can maybe sneak through as one of the best third place teams because I think they are in a group with South Korea and Guinea as well and what with South Korea being the hosts and they looked very good in their game with a couple of Barcelona players on show as well I don't have a lot of hope for Argentina getting in the top two, but you never know. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, and moving on to talk about one of the favourites for this competition and the South American champions, and that's Uruguay. I don't think they were at their best um, against Italy this morning. I got up early to watch it, but they did claim a 1-0 victory with a stunning winner, actually, from a WFI favourite who we'll speak about in a minute. There was also some really poor use of video technology in this game that I want to talk about and I was ranting about on Twitter. But what did you make of this, Tom? I thought Uruguay were deserved winners. Um, I thought that you know they basically had the same squad that did so well at the Sudamericano with the addition of Federico Valverde, who um, came through at Peñarol but was snapped up by Real Madrid. Um and he was fantastic. I think he, he absolutely bossed it from the centre of the park and just gave them that that extra dynamism. They they suffered a bit when Weiler went off injured. I think he's quite an underrated player for, for them on the left side. But no, they, the first half they did very well and they were sort of only um, not ahead because of some fantastic goal, uh, goalkeeping by the Italian uh, keeper. He saved an admittedly poor penalty from De La Cruz which, you know, it sort of harked back to the first game of the Sudamericano when he when he missed against Venezuela. So I'm, I'm hoping he can show his strength of character just like he did there and, and come back strongly. Yeah, it was rescued by our favourite, the Uruguayan Rooney, Rodrigo Amaral, with one of the best free kicks I've seen in a long time. It's, it's one of those beautiful free kicks that just seems like it's continuing rising, but then just absolutely like a scud missile hits the top corner of the net and uh, it was a fitting way to break down a, a resilient Italian side. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, I, and I felt quite smug when that one went in because I kind of predicted that he could be the match winner for them when he came on. But yeah, I, I think we do need to talk about 
the use of video technology in this match because that penalty that you were talking about, it took 40 seconds before they stopped play to act for the referee to then pull the play back all that way. You know, but the ball had transitioned like between the two teams about three or four times. You know, Italy were, I think, you know, on the break in Uruguay's half at the time. And then suddenly the ref brings it back. And when you look at the replay, yeah, it's a very, very debatable penalty. For me, it's not a penalty. And and if you look at the reaction of the Uruguay players, including the, the Uruguayan who was supposedly fouled, he hasn't even appealed for the penalty. So, yeah, I don't know how you feel, Tom. And Nick, I'll bring you in at this point maybe to get some of your thoughts on video technology. But if, if video technology is going to be used for this kind of decision then it's, it's going to ruin the game as a, as a spectacle. Yeah, I certainly think that this was a terrible use of it. And, you know, you, you like you said, you look, looked at it back again and you were, you were probably less certain than before. You know, it's, it, even with the Martinez sending off in the Argentina game, that was still quite a debatable, you know, 50-50 call maybe. So, yeah, I, I would personally like to see it used for sort of very much you know, st- stone cold, you know, like a handball or a foul, if there's contact, um, yeah, exactly. like something. And, and in the moment, so you can stop the game in that moment uh, and just have a look at it. Yeah, and certainly maybe even take some tips from cricket and maybe kind of go with the the referee's first initial decision, sort of favour that rather than sort of as a fail say for any 50-50 he might have missed. You know, I think it's got to be something that everyone can look at and be like, no, that is 100% a foul. Um, that's that's good. We've we've got that. So, I, I mean, the, I suppose this is just a testing ground for uh, technology, which seems inevitable. But yeah, I think that that's a, something they really have to look at going forward. Yeah. yeah, I thought we um we saw something similar with that at the Club World Cup as well, didn't we? The couple of times oh, yeah, it sort of came into use. I, I kind of agree with Tom on this. I think it's got to be something that they see and it's very clear that it's something the referees completely missed. This going back and sort of nitpicking at these little decisions to me just seems the game's just going to be stopping all the time if we if we go into it in that much detail. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a fair comment. Um yeah, I'm certainly more against it in general for many reasons and even today actually within our various WFI groups we're kind of discussing maybe do a whole pod uh, debating the issue um, for those of us who feel strongly on it. So maybe look out for that one. So let's get back to the Under-20 World Cup and discuss Ecuador who kick off tomorrow morning for us but you know, maybe listeners listening to to, to this podcast the game may have already been played but Nick have you got any thoughts on Ecuador I know that you've covered Ecuador in football quite a bit in the past so is there any players maybe we can look out for uh, and what you think of their chances in general yeah I mean I think we saw at the the South American Championship they look at they look a decent team um, if you look at their group you know you just think they've got they've got a chance of getting out of that um you know much will depend on the result against uh, the united states tomorrow i quite like the look of um jordan sierra in the midfield for ecuador um i, I know he has been i don't know if it's just agent talk but i know he's been linked with manchester city in ecuador 
so I think he he's a player to watch out for. But I think in general they're uh, they're a decent side, and if they can get a good result tomorrow, they've got a solid chance of getting through. Yeah, definitely. I have, from what I have seen them, I have to agree with you. Uh, Brian Cabezas up front is certainly a danger man. No, Tom. Yeah, he was he was sensational at the Sudamericana. Um, he formed a really excellent sort of left hand partnership with uh, the attacking fullback Purvis Estupinian, who's got. One of the best names uh, at the tournament, and yeah, that like like uh, Nick said as well. Sierra is someone who went about his business very nicely and knitted things together in the middle of the park. And you know, he's I think he was one of the top passers at the tournament. Um, they're they're a fun team to watch. They've got bags of pace and directness. You know, they'll they'll concede a, a few sloppy goals here and there, but yeah, they're they're a fun team to watch. Um, and yeah, I think depending on this result. Uh, tomorrow then I think that could set them up nicely Senegal might be quite a, a similar team um, that could be quite an entertaining game um, but I think they should qualify from this group um, and yeah who knows uh, they don't have home advantage this time uh, obviously that played a factor in in their Sudamericano performances but yeah I think I think all four teams uh, maybe with Argentina the ones I'm least uh, hopeful about but I think Certainly Ecuador, Venezuela and Uruguay could um, reach the quarterfinals. Yeah, I definitely have to agree with you. Yeah, this is quite an important competition for those who don't know. Here in South America, you know, it is taken seriously. Obviously, for European sides, it's not so important because it always seems to clash with the under-21 tournament over there. But yeah, I think think the South American sides will do quite well, apart from maybe... Argentina. Let's move on to talk about the Chilean league title, which was decided this weekend. Um, Nick, you're currently there in Santiago. First of all, you know, before we discuss what happened this weekend in the in the Chilean title race, uh, what games have you have you caught in Santiago this week? Uh, so yeah, so I was here um, last weekend as well. So um, last weekend, the first game I went along to was uh, Audax against uh, Universidad de Concepcion, which was uh, well quite a comfortable win for Concepcion in the end, three nil. But it's quite a nice. Um, I quite like Aldax's stadium. I mean, it, it was it was far from full, um, but it's quite a nice little stadium. Terrible pitch, though. Terrible, terrible pitch. I, I went there. Pitch. I, I went there at the end of last season because it was Arica's penultimate game in their fight against relegation. Uh-huh. Which I ended up losing. Uh, it was a nil-nil draw, and the, oh, I just couldn't believe seeing the pitch that close up. I couldn't believe how bad it looked. <laughs> Yeah, okay, okay, yeah, the pitch, not great, but in general, I thought it's quite a nice little stadium, the ne- the uh, the neighbourhood's quite quite nice as well. Yeah, fairly um, easy to get to. Yeah, fairly easy to get to, fairly near the metro. Um, so yeah, it was, you know, I mean, it was a fun, fun game to go to as much as anything, because with only about 2,000, I think, people in the stadium, you could hear all the players talking to each other, you could hear um, <laughs> yeah. Nico... I don't know if you were uh, Nico Perich, the goalkeeper for Aldax, was throwing Contadutu Madres all over the place. Um, so it was quite a it was quite an interesting experience from that point of view. Um, but yeah, pretty comfortable win for um, Concepcion. Okay, yeah, and and she also caught one of the key games in the title race, um, I believe, because you saw Colo Colo against uh, Deportes and Antofagasta last week I did. in uh, El Monumental. 
I did indeed. That was a completely different, um, completely different situation. Packed stadium, lots of noise. Yeah, you know, a completely different experience to Aldax. But yeah, no, it was, it was a good game. I mean, I don't know if it was maybe, you know, as a Spurs fan, I don't know if I had some sort of effect on Colo Colo and they, uh, having taken the lead, decided to crumble. But yeah, I thought Colo Colo, I don't, um, in general, I think Colo Colo, whenever I've seen them this season, they always start matches so well, you know, in the first 20, 25 minutes of games, they always come straight out. They're attacking, they're moving the ball well. You think, you know, or they if they can get a couple of goals, that's the game done. But as we saw again this weekend, they, they miss quite a few chances. And uh, the one goal that they did get against the Tofagas, though, wasn't enough um, when things sort of started to go against them in the second half. For me, it was um, it was a very similar performance to the one they gave against uh, Botafogo in the Copa Libertadores, where they took an early lead, uh, first half lead. And then in the second half, instead of trying to look for the second goal, they kind of dropped back. The tempo dropped out the game and they got nervous towards the end and they ended up conceding the vital goal. And, you know, that's what we saw against Antofagasta uh, last weekend as well. And, of course, so that goal that Antofagasta got, that meant that with Universidad de Chile winning 3-0 away to O'Higgins, Lou. They went into the final game of the season needing a win over San Luis to claim their 18th league title. They got it and it was the first title for Lul since 2014 where under the guidance of Martin uh, Lasardi they, they faced a similar situation to as they did yesterday where they needed a win to again pip Colo Colo to the title. And for me, it, I think there's two factors here. I, I think you can definitely say that Colo Colo blew the title, bottled the title maybe, uh, if you want to be harsher about it. But at the same time, we saw uh, Universidad de Chile side grow under their Argentine manager, Guillermo Angel Ruiz, who's been somewhat of a journeyman really, both player and manager. He seems to have had a good effect on this squad, which has really struggled since... The departure of Lasarte, they had a terrible time under Sebastian Becasechi, the former, the former assistant to Jorge Sampaoli. I think we've seen a team that's grown over the course of the campaign. Um, I've seen that the players have kind of praised uh, his man management skills throughout this season. And, uh, and I think you've got to say that they, they deserve their, their title in the end. There in Santiago, what, what was the reaction? Um, well, yeah, uh, as you as you can imagine, it was uh, packed. Um, the Plaza Italia was rammed with uh, Universidad de Chile supporters, fireworks going off, flares, chanting, drinking, the you know the normal uh, the normal celebrations. So yeah, but I was um, where I'm staying is on um, Vicuña Mackenna, which is the you know one of the main streets you could get back up into the centre from the Estadio Nacional. So, um, you know, I, I had some advance warning that they were on their way and uh, then I went out to, to have a look at what was going on. So, uh, yeah, some pretty uh, pretty wild celebrations, I think, throughout the throughout the night last night. OK, uh, and what have you made of Universidad de Chile in general in this game and, and over the course of the season? I'm not sure how much you've seen of them 
I'm, well, I'm, I've, I've seen sort of more of them towards the end of the season, so I've probably seen their, their better part of the campaign. Yeah, I think, I think they got look a good side. They've managed to, I think, the the system that's been put together now is, you know, over the course of the season has come into this one that works very well. Um, I mean, I don't think, I think there's still certainly room to improve. It'll be interesting to see, you know, as long as they don't lose too many players, how they can go into the next campaign, whether they can maintain their form from the end of this campaign over the course of a whole campaign. Um, but I think it says everything they won five of their last six, whereas Colo Colo only won three of their last nine. So I think you can see sort of where the, you know, how the two teams differed in form when it came at the end of the season. I think you're right that, you know, they they found a system which worked for, for them sort of halfway through the campaign. A lot of it's down to, for me, the use of their fullbacks or wingbacks. They, they kind of play a 4-3-3 formation, but the, the two fullbacks in that four are uh, Jim Bossayour, the vastly experienced, you know, former Wigan man. So, you know, ex-Colo-Colo, he actually transferred straight from Colo Colo to Lou, that was pretty controversial at the time. And on the on the right side you've got Fran uh Franz Schorz, who's kind of an up and coming player here in Chile. He he moved from Santiago Wanderers last year. And both of them provide a lot of pace down the wings and also, you know, get a lot of crosses into the box. And that's that's where a lot of their goals have come from this season. I, I think they've become quite an attractive side to watch over the course of the campaign. But but really, their star man has been their striker, Felipe Mora. He's finished the season as top scorer, which remarkably, I couldn't, I couldn't believe this, but they're saying on the on the commentary after the game that he was actually the first Universidad Chile player to do so, to finish as top scorer in a league campaign since 2000. So 17 years without Lou having a top scorer. And they've had some really good teams and some really good players in that time. In, in that time, but yeah, going back to Mora, his his stock, you know, has really risen in recent years. He broke through at Aldax Italiano in in 2011 uh, when he was just 17. He got a hat trick in in one of his first games. I seem to and I seem to recall. And at that point, you know, a lot of pressure was put on his shoulders. You know, he's drawing comparisons to. To players like Alexis Sanchez, you know, it happens in every country. You know, when when a player suddenly looks great when they first burst through, they're, they're compared to a to a to a superstar. But yeah, for me, you know, Moore is not quite at the level of Alexis Sanchez, and I don't think he's ever going to be. But he is one of the brighter talents in Chilean football at the moment. And if we see another improvement next season, then I think. You know, he, he will probably be on the move to kind of bigger and better things. You know, Nico Castillo, the, yeah, he really impressed for Universidad Católica last year. He finished top scorer in, in both the Apertura and Clausura in, in 2016. And, you know, that earned him a move up, up to Mexico. So it wouldn't, you know, there's a lot of Chileans playing in Mexico at the moment. So it, it wouldn't be a huge surprise to see maybe more end up there, but, Personally, I hope he sticks around at least for another year as I'd like to see what Oyas can do with this Universidad de Chile side, you know, in in the second half of this year and then, of course, in the Copa Libertadores next year. Um, as Lou have really only been the only Chilean side really in the last couple of decades that have troubled like the latter stages of that competition. So it'd be interesting 
to see if I if um if I can build something again with with this team. Nick, personally, you know, I I feel very uh, pessimistic about about the future of, of Chilean football. Yeah, you know, once this kind of golden generation goes but is there any players at the moment which uh catch your eye and you think m- might be stars of the future well it's hard isn't it we've seen from the uh the performances and the um well the last under 20 side didn't really didn't really do a great deal i wouldn't say there's a huge number of players one guy one guy i've seen a couple of times because i also went to um Unión Española against Aldax on Friday um who's come off the bench twice for Aldax is a uh, René Melendez I think he's only 18. Left-footed player, looked pretty good technically, scored actually against Union Española. Um, and he, he looked like a pretty pretty useful player who, you know, maybe with a few more years under his belt, could be one to, uh, to watch out for. Um, apart from that, I mean, yeah, I, I don't see, right now, I don't see like players who are going to be capable of making that step up. No, I think if you really difficult it's really difficult i've been yeah. i've been asked it various times on on pods and yeah you know, i'm left kind of scratching my head really there's a yeah. few decent players who will have kind of decent careers in 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 south america and and maybe you know in in, in mexico like felipe mora for example but it's very difficult to see a player you know on that kind of level that arturo vidal or alexis sanchez is on isn't it well, yeah. I mean, if you look at that that 2007 under 20 group, I mean, even before that tournament, even after the the even some of them before the South American under 20 championship were already with European clubs or being linked heavily with European clubs. I think you don't. I don't see many players in this current generation that you think a European club's going to pay money and take them over there at 19 or 20, and in a couple of years they're going to be regulars in Europe. So. I don't. I know that towards the end of um, Sam Pauli's time in charge, him and his staff were doing like a, you know, review of all of the the younger age groups and looking at players who you know had potential to come through, and there was a certain degree of sort of promise of what was to come. But I think that was maybe the generation sort of maybe the players who are sixteen, seventeen now. So. Maybe if we give it another couple of years, we might start to see something coming through. But, yeah, um, that's that's my hope, really. Um, but yeah, that suddenly we see something. I, I I guess this like the next sort of under twenty South American Championships in a couple of years, maybe something will will blossom there. Tom, I know that you follow kind of a lot of under twenty football over here. Is there is there anybody you can think of we should be optimistic about in Chile? Yeah, I mean, I share your sort of pessimism in general I think really apart from that kind of 2013 under 20 group that Nico Castillo was was part of that you know there haven't been any solid sides so there maybe there'll be some guys I mean I know they're probably all around 24 now but I think you know you could expect some of those guys to be mainstays in the national team apart from that I like uh, Sebastian Vegas, who's up in Mexico now as well as a centre back, and yeah, he uh, he came from Aldax as well. Aldax yeah. um, produced some fairly decent players, it has to be said. Yeah, and I think also Sierra Alta was one of the. He didn't have a great tournament, um, but I thought he was one who had the the sort of raw materials at least to kind of to go on and be be an in, in international. You know, so I think yeah, it's. 
it's quite a depressing time right now and I don't see any young Arturo Vidal's or anything like that at the moment but you know these things ebb and flow and yeah hopefully we'll we'll see some good players coming through in the next four or five years yeah um definitely a, a, a quick word on kind of relegation and promotion in Chile in terms of the league Cobresal two years after they miraculously won the Chilean title this tiny tiny club from a mining camp of El Salvador in the Atacama Desert they finally lost their top division status after 15 years and like I say just two years after winning the title some of you may remember them in the Copa Libertadores last year and um, and they will be replaced by Curico uh, Unido. Curico, uh, it's, it's a provincial club, a couple of hours south of, of the capital, Santiago. Curico actually beat my team, San Marcos de Arica, to the title. Fairly comfortably, too, to be fair to them. Good luck to them in the top division. And a quick word on my team, Arica, who finished second. They face a playoff at the end of this year against the winner of the Primera B Torneo Transition. Um, and if they win that tournament or the playoff, then they face another playoff against the bottom side of the Primera División Torneo Transition for a place in the top division again. So, yeah, basically, us Arica fans, we haven't got really too much to get excited about until the end of the year now. We're just waiting for that playoff to come around. And, um, and from next year onwards here in Chile... Um, there's going to be it's going to change to a long format so this is why we've got these transition tournaments coming up it's going to be a 30 30 uh, game year-long tournament yeah running kind of concurrently with uh, Copper Livid Stories which is also now going throughout the year okay just to sort of sum up things here in Chile at the moment there's obviously the Confederations Cup coming up in June Chile announced most of their squad on Friday or Saturday. In recent days, anyway, they, they named that squad. And the, the big names are there. Uh, apart from maybe, you could say, well, both Mati Fernandez and Jorge Valdivia but both missed out on the squad. What are your thoughts on it, Nick? I mean, for me, I'd always have Valdivia in my squad because I think he just offers something completely different. Even if you're only going to use him off the bench, he's, he's just a fantastic player. Um, and Fernandez looks like he started to play his way into some form at Milan. But I don't know if this is more an indication that PC isn't going to use, has no intention of using a number 10, because it's not like he's picked someone else who can play this role. Um, it seems like he's, ha- he's happy with the 4-3-3. You know, maybe he just doesn't see a need to have a number 10 in the squad. But as I say, for me, Valdivia is a bench option at least. You know, I'd always have him there. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I, th- I think that PT doesn't trust Matty Fernandez with the injuries either. I th- I, you know, he had to pull out the Copa America Centenario squad with an injury just before it began. And he's also since then pulled out of a couple of World Cup qualifying squads as well. So I think that PT's just lost patience with him, basically. And I don't think PT and Valdivia have ever had a particularly good relationship either. I guess the main surprise in the squad from what we've seen so far, because we haven't had the domestic players um, announced yet, is Martin Rodriguez of Cruz Azul. That for me, I, don't, I mean, I don't think he's, I think this is his first call up under Pizzi. Um, maybe only a second one ever. And I always thought he looked okay at Colo Colo, but I was never like overly impressed by him. But 
I haven't seen enough of him in Mexico. I didn't know if you had a, an opinion on him. Yeah, I, I haven't seen too much of him since he went to Mexico. But what I will say is under Pablo Guari, the Colo Colo manager at the end of last year, he was in amazing form here. Mm. He, he, he really looked like he'd gone to another level and he was a player to get really excited about. But from what I understand, since he's moved to Mexico, he's been a little bit inconsistent, is what I hear. He hasn't exactly, you know, lit up the league there in the same way as maybe Nico, Nico Castillo did, when certainly at first when he, when he went up to Mexico. Yeah, I don't know. Also, I mean, I've seen um, it's been reported um, who the local base players will be. Um, I think Felipe Moro was in that, so that could be that could be interesting. Um, I think otherwise it was pretty standard. Um, Bosajor, Hara, Herrera, and oh, Marapan as well, I think. Yeah, Mar- Marapan had a really good uh, China Cup um, alongside Paolo Diaz as well, who is a pretty good defender. Tom, you've seen plenty of Diaz as well, no, for, for San Lorenzo. Um, he, he looks like a defender who's really come on a lot in the last year or so. Yeah, definitely. He's um he's getting a lot of game time now. He's he's primarily um operating at fullback um rather in the centre of the uh, defence. But yeah, he's he's having a good season. And as uh, we saw from the Libertadores uh, last week, he uh, he managed to secure the uh, the passage of San Lorenzo through. And I'm sure we'll talk go on to talk about them later in terms of the Argentina t- uh, title race as well. But yeah, I'll be I'll be looking keeping an eye out for him as uh, one of the Argentina-based uh, players. But, yeah, it's, it's, um, like you guys are saying, the, it seems a pretty standard squad. And I think, apart from... Uh, I'll, be, I'll be looking for, forward to seeing uh, Mora now after you guys have been bigging him up. And I'm a huge fan of Castillo. So I think he could really maybe announce himself on a bigger stage to maybe some of the European viewers. So, yeah, it's, it'll be an interesting one. And, I, I, you know, they should qualify from that that group and... Who knows, maybe I'll meet Germany in the final. Yeah, indeed. Well, well, Germany this week, of course, announced a kind of a B squad for that tournament. So, yeah, it, it'd be interesting to see how, how Chile get on um, in the Confederations Cup next month. Um, let's move on um, and talk about what's going on in in the Argentinian league at the moment. With, uh, with First with you, Tom, and then... We'll come on to Nick after that, as I know that he's heading over to Argentina uh, later this week. So, so Tom, yeah, I, I watched a couple of the Clásicos last week uh, there in Argentina. The Boca River game was amazing. Uh, it's one of the best Super Clásicos I think I've seen between those two. And uh, and also, there was quite a tasty encounter between uh, Rosario Central and Newell's Old Boys as well. Um, so maybe... Um, if you can just sort of give us a, a general update of, of what's going on at the moment in Argentina, the runners and riders, so to speak. Yeah, sure thing. Um, we're about five games away from the end of the season, so it's, it's really hotting up. Uh, Boca Juniors are sitting pretty at the top. Uh, they've got a a six-point uh, lead um, ahead of San Lorenzo, who... Again, uh, they've they've been some good form in Libertadores, but they they keep slipping up in the league just when they need to kind of capitalise on on uh, Boca's occasional poor performances. They lost one 0 to Alder Civi tonight um, at home as well. I think you know they didn't field the strongest uh, side, but 
you know, that's that was a missed opportunity to close the gap to three points. Um, so, yeah, Boca have been top of the table for, for quite some time. Uh, start of the season, the Estudiantes were going well, but they've faded massively. You know, Boca with Tevez were, were doing well. Um, and then he left left for China. So that kind of created a bit of a, um, a need to fill that influential figure. And, you know, they've they've done well without being sort of spectacularly impressive. They're, you know, they're, they're ahead and they've got a vastly superior goal difference. I think they're 10 ahead of everyone else. Um, so the stats would show that they're, they're looking good, but there's a, there's a weird lack of, um, trust of, uh, Baros Esquiloto, even though they are kind of doing, doing quite well. And the main guys for them have been Ricky Centurion, who broke through at Racing and he's just like, he's, you know, your typical, sort of street football he's full of tricks and flicks and, and you know he, he's an absolute he's been an absolute joy to watch um this se- this season and Dario Benedetto has um he's come back from Mexico and he's been in great form I think he's got 15 in 20 in the league and he got the winner against Newells who are another of the title challengers uh this weekend to kind of uh see Boca bounce back from that Super Classico defeat to River and yeah, I think River are the main challengers. They've, they were kind of poor, um, in the first half of the season as, you know, Gajardo was still trying to transition the team and, and, and find a good sort of defensive unit that he'd, he'd been struggling to find ever since, uh, Funes Mori left there. I mean, whatever you think about Funes Mori, he's, uh, uh, sort of Argentinian domestic level. He's, he's a very good centre back. Um, so yeah, they, they were trying lots of things out and it, it seemed to have finally clicked as we've seen in the Libertadores. They've been sensational and with Driussi and Alario up front, they've got two of the best young strikers in, in South American football. Um, so they're, they've got two games in hand. They play Gymnasia on Monday night. And if they can, if they can win their two games in hand, which, you know, there's a good chance of them doing that. Then they'd be within one point of Boca, which would really set us up for a, a thrilling showdown. Um, as you mentioned, there was a great Super Classico um, c- a couple of weeks ago, and River won three-one in La Bombonera. In fact, you know the the one earlier in the season was again one of the, the best Super Classicos in a long time. That was when uh, I think Boca won four-two um, at River Stadium. So after what seemed like years and years of absolutely terrible Super Classicos that never lived up to the hype we've had we've had two they've uh, they've both come along like buses so yeah it's um it looks like Bocca's to lose but River Plate can certainly put some pressure on it's been quite a good weekend for Bocca so far because as I said San Lorenzo have dropped points Newell's dropped points they've they've really fallen off a cliff lately um even Banfield who are kind of not too far off the top they they did drop points and I think Colon have just lost as well so yeah, it's it's really going to be probably the the big two that are going to duke it out. I mean, I'll, I'll quickly say a, a quick word on Independiente, who who on some great form under their new boss uh, Ariel Lolan, who interestingly used to be uh, a hockey coach, I believe, and he's kind of uh, plays quite a nice, attractive style of football. And they won their Clasico against uh, Racing as well. So yeah. Uh, that's that's pretty much where where we stand. Um, I think we really need to get a victory against Gymnasia, and then then we've got a title title race on our hands. 
Okay, yeah, it certainly sounds like it's going to be either River or Boca claiming that title there in Argentina. Moving on to talk about the Argentina national side. They named a squad this week, which to me looks like a classic San Paoli squad. But as he didn't actually sign off the paper, it's, it's not officially his. But I think it's fair to say that, you know, this is a San Paoli squad and... Yeah, he, he is pretty much the manager of Argentina now and we can expect to see him maybe on the touchline for these friendlies coming up, no time. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's really quite exciting actually after, you know, years of just kind of sticking with the same guys. I think San Paolo is the man to come in and have the the sort of clout and the uh, the huevos to uh, drop some of the, the bigger names uh, and introduce some, some guys who a lot of people have been calling out for for a long time. You know, um, it looks like, uh, well, Ruli's back in the squads um, and, you know, I think he should be probably looking to be the starter, although I, I know Guzman's a favourite of his as well. It looks like Mascherano is going to be used as a defender, which for all of us who've been watching Argentina for a while, we've been sort of crying out for. Um, and there's been some interesting choices. Lanzini, Paredes, Guido Rodriguez, who's been great in Mexico, Papu Gomez, who's been great um, for Atalanta, and also the big one, Mario Cardi, get coming into the squad. So, yeah, it's a, a quite a fresh-looking squad, and um, I'm, yeah, I'm I'm hopeful for a, a change of fortunes. Yeah, I, I think uh, Pereira is coming into that Argentina squad. I, I think if they put him in the centre midfield, I think he he could be one of the missing pieces. I've said that for a while. Um, he he's impressed me when I've seen him in Italy. Um, Nick, any any thoughts on you know San Paoli taking over at um, Argentina? I know, like me, you're you're a big fan of his work, and this should be a match made in heaven, though, really. Well, yeah, in theory, it should be, shouldn't it? He obviously is very desperate to take the job. Argentina are desperate to have him. The situation is such that I'm not sure he can really do worse than uh, than Bowser. So. You know, it seems to be set up quite well for him to come in and, and make a good impact. Uh, I think it's interesting seeing the, the names in this this squad that's been released, which I think we can presume that Sampoli, whether directly or indirectly, has had, uh, had uh, a big effect on the selection, is that you've got a lot of players in there, younger players that were actually the guys that Martino wanted to take to the Olympics um, last year and didn't really get sufficient support from the AFA you know, to make deals with their clubs to get them along there. So it's kind of like this regeneration project that Argentina should really have started last year, finally sort of coming into coming into being now under San Paolo. So um, I think, yeah, um, as far as I'm concerned, I think it's hard. I, I can't see Argentina not at least finishing fifth. I think they might struggle to finish in the top four, but I think they'll finish fifth. So um, it sort of gives Sampoli a bit of time. You can get a team together. And then um, I think by the time the World Cup comes around, maybe we'll see a, an Argentina that's more obviously a Sampoli Argentina. Yeah, definitely. And um, Nick, you're, you're off to Argentina at the end of this week. Is there any matches you plan to take in whilst you're there? And any plans you've got whilst you're over there? Uh, I haven't actually uh, haven't actually studied the fixtures in any great detail so far. Um, I'm up off to Cordoba first. So obviously, um, I think Belgrano are playing behind closed doors at the moment. 
Um, but there's still Tacheres and Instituto in the second division as well. So probably try and get along to at least one game there. Um, and then, yeah, by the time I yeah, haven't quite decided if I'm off to Buenos Aires or Rosario next, but wherever it is, I'll definitely try and catch some games. And uh, obviously the main advantage of Argentina is as long as you've got a television, there's a pretty good chance you can watch some football. So uh, I should be able to keep a close eye on the Argentine league over the next uh, month or so. Let's wrap up this South American football show for this week. I'll just go. I'll just go back to you too to see if there's if there's anything you want to plug. First of all, Tom. Yeah, um, you can follow me on Twitter at tomrobo89. Um, I'll be trying to watch as much of the Under Twenty World Cup and you know live tweeting the odd game. And I've got a few pieces about some of the the players, and I'm sure I'll do a a couple afterwards as well. Um, and yeah, I'm sure there'll be a piece about the completion of the Argentinian league. So yeah, it could be, it could be a busy month or so. So yeah, just, uh, keep an eye on Twitter and, and you'll find some stuff there. Okay. And, and Nick, where can people find you? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter, uh, at chewing the coca. Um, I'm on Facebook as well, but to be honest, Twitter is probably the best place to get me. Um, and I should have in the next couple of days, hopefully a piece will go up, which I'll, I'll plug on Twitter, um, talking about San Poli's first squad as the, uh, the Argentina head coach. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll definitely try and check that out, and I recommend um, our listeners do too. Nick's an excellent writer. Um, and as, as from my point of view, you can, you can contact me um, on Twitter, at Kanija Scores, or just search for my name, Adam Brandon. Um, and here at World Football Index in general, you know, you've got the Copa Libertadores pod there on the feed, um, looking at last week's action. The, it, the group stages wrap up this week, so, you know, we're really looking forward to discussing that um, at the end of this week. And uh, the pod should be out on Friday. And yeah, and there's plenty of other pods on the feed as well. Pods looking, yeah, at Russian football, German football. Italian football, whatever whatever you fancy, try and check it out. Um, going forward here at World Football Index, during the Under-20 World Cup, we try and cover it from a South American perspective as much as possible, um, alongside plenty of other exciting stuff coming up over, over the next couple of months. So you can certainly get your football fix here at the World Football Index with the European season coming to an end. Um, so, yeah, that's just left for me to say massive thanks to Tom Robinson and Nick Dorrington to give up their time to come on the program. I'm sure that they both enjoyed enjoyed it, guys. No, always a pleasure. Um, yeah, and uh, I've been absolutely loving some of the uh, Libertadores pods and and some of the uh, uh, stuff that Simon's doing with the Colombian uh, Medellin pods. So yeah, I definitely echo the your thoughts and, and get everyone to give those a listen and to, and to follow Nick on Twitter as well. He's uh, always, always got some good articles up. So yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for that, Tom. Thanks for having me on uh, Adam. And yeah, it's been a, it's been a pleasure. That just leaves me to say a massive thanks to our listeners as well. Any feedback always appreciated and goodbye. <laughs>